Hey guys, as promised, a quick weekend update. Last year, our church started a giving journey, a generosity initiative called We Can't. The whole premise behind We Can't is that um, God is going to invite us at times in our life to do things that we can't do without him intervening. And we talked about um, when Peter walked on water, how he, he was afraid, he saw the wind, the waves, he saw Jesus walking and he was like, there's no way I can do that. And Jesus invited him out because with Jesus he could walk on water. And that's a picture of faith. That's a picture of trusting God. In our church last year, um, those of you that call this place home, uh, made commitments over two years to our church uh, that equaled $6.2 million. It was incredible because at that point, our church had given a budget, a, a, a total amount of about a million dollars. And so we went from $2 million that would come in over two years to $6 million, an additional $4 million to come in to this, to this church. And it wasn't just about a building. In fact, if you were really a part of that, um, you know that it's really about generosity. It's really about trusting God. It's really about doing what we're called to do, which is give and trust God financially. And in the process of that, if everyone who calls this place home and wants to do what God has called them to do, trusts God financially through tithing, through giving 10% of your gross annual income and just writing that down on a card and saying, for the next two years, we will do what God has called us to do, that's how we got to that 6.2 commitment, by just asking people, do what God has called you to do. And so with that, uh, we know that the, the project is still a huge project. It's an it's $11 million building that we want to do. But you have to kind of put a pin in that for a second and just go, okay, God has called us to be faithful, and if we do what he says, then uh, we're going to be able to accomplish our goals, his goals, and mo so much more. And so what's really fun is that um, we started out giving this year, and our church has been faithful. You guys, through five months, uh, you guys gave about uh, $1.5 million. And that means that you're on track to give that three for the first year and two years of three is the 6.2. So it's incredible that people have done it. But here's the thing. Uh, I need to challenge everybody today because uh, we're starting into the fall and through the summer, our numbers dip. Now they do that every year. People go on vacation. Every single year, the summer months go down, June, July, and August. And so I need to encourage you to continue to give faithfully. Jump back online, uh, do, do what you said you're gonna do so that we can end up at the end of this year uh, being able to show any financial institutions, hey, uh, we, we look at our church, our church gives. They committed to something and they did it. And that's what really where we are in the process is being able to say, we have a huge project. Our church has jumped from one million a year to three million a year or six over that. We have got to show the bank that this church will give and is able to afford um, a, a building one day. And so uh, it's not just gonna be those of you that committed. You guys have committed, you're incredible, and you need to keep doing, you need to keep your commitment. And I know this was over two years, but if you dropped off in the summer, pick it back up. But there's also a bunch of you who are in here who have not made a commitment. You give, but you haven't made a commitment. And for us to accomplish our goals, everyone is gonna have to get involved. Everyone is gonna have to not just, give, we don't need someone to come in and give a, a bunch of money. We would love for someone to give uh, $2 million, $1 million, and we're gonna need uh, something like that to happen at some point 
uh, for us to accomplish our goals. But really, the sweet spot for this church has been every person trusting God financially on a monthly basis. And that's what God has called all of us to. And so I'm so excited to uh, take to you guys, bring to you guys in October, we are going to do another series. Now, I just, about We Can't. Last year, when we did We Can't, our attendance dropped by 200 people a week. For some of you, that doesn't shock you. Because for some people, they see We Can't, and then they heard that it's about generosity, and they went, all, the church just wants my money. And if that's you, like, I just want to challenge you to believe and trust that this is so much more than us wanting your money, your specific money. This is us trusting God to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish in this community. And so don't back down when we announce the dates of this series. Come and listen. Just come and let what God has to say about scripture and through the scriptures about money, let it affect you. And let's see if we could uh, someday be able to reach these financial goals in terms of a building and a lot of other things. So uh, that's the We Can't Update. If you committed, keep giving. We gotta stay strong through the year. And if you're not a part of that yet and you haven't made a commitment, which means you wrote down on a card that you were gonna commit, um, then we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that in the fall. So hang with us. Um, we're just, just starting out on this journey, and there's a lot more that I have to share with you in the series. I can't wait to share with you. Exciting news, fun stuff, updates, uh, the progress that we've made over the year, and uh, it's, it's, all, it's all very, very good. So death was arrested week two. Let me just remind you kind of uh, where, we, where we left off last week. What we talked about last week was that before death becomes arrested, if you get the picture of death being put into to prison and, and its power and its, its influence being minimized, the first thing that happened is that life was arrested. And I talked about that, how through the process of sin, through the process of Adam and Eve not listening to what God said, that life got put into prison, essentially got put into the trash can, and life in terms of our relationship with God was severed, in terms of our relationship with others was broken and, and not functioning the way that it's supposed to function. And this is the picture of that. In the world, we see glimpses, we see the fingerprints of God, kind of the, the pieces protruding from the trash can, like, oh, I know that there's so much good, but ultimately, the bad, the brokenness, the evil, the, 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 the stuff we experience every day, it is, it is because of this brokenness that happened when uh, Adam and Eve and therefore all of us turned our backs on God and life got thrown into prison. And then the proof of that is what came out of all of that is this brokenness that we talked about. We talked about how the proof of, of life being arrested is, is, is in our sin patterns. It's in our desires. It's in, it's in the, the things that we look to in the world to go, uh, I really believe that these things will fill me up because the scriptures taught us and teach us that the sin of the world, this missing the mark, this, this, this uh, behavior that basically shows that we're separated from God can be broken down into three little simple categories. Uh, the lust of the flesh, and we talked about Wolverine, just that desire, that fleshly desire that really in the picture of Wolverine, it just, it just kind of bursts from his, from his hands and even hurts his flesh. 
And, and the scriptures talk about the lust of the flesh actually hurting your body and causing that pain because of those overwhelming desires. And when that happens, so many of us feel like, oh, I'm not good enough. God doesn't love me. And that's not the point. The point is, is that we want you to see I'm not supposed to feel that way. I'm not supposed to have that kind of desire. That desire is a signal that says to you, you are supposed to feel whole. You are supposed to feel complete. You're not supposed to lust after something so much that it overwhelms you and consumes you. And so my heart in, in this, this picture here was that these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, uh, materialism, that when you see something, you gotta have it. You gotta have it. You were not designed to go through life with that I gotta have it attitude. When you gotta have it, it's because life was arrested. It's because this thing broke down. It's not functioning the way that it should. When your mind gets, gets the best of you and you think more of yourself than you ought to and you have this overblown sense of pride or ego and, and you might not even know it and that's the scariest place to be is when you're living on you. You're trusting in you alone. You're depending on you alone. You're not depending on God. That's pride. And pride comes before the fall. And so essentially what we all do is we build up our lives and then we try to remove God or anyone else and we're gonna do it on our own and look out for number one and protect me and if, if I, I don't need God. So we, we remove everything and we just lift ourselves up and ultimately pride comes before the fall. So then you fall and you break down. And when you break down because of your arrogance, that loss, that brokenness, is a signal, it's a warning sign, it's a flare. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. These represent sin, death, brokenness. And this is why, because life was arrested. And so every single one of us, we have these in our lives. And again, my heart for you guys is not to go, man, he's beating me over the head, he's, oh man, that's me, I want, I, I just, I want that, I feel that, I, I think that. That's not my heart, my heart is that you would see that and go, Man, that is true of me. I want those things, I think those things, I feel those things. And that must mean that something's not right. Something's not right. And that's the reality, is that every single one of us, we have sin in our life. And when we have sin in our life, it leads to guilt. And guilt is not the same thing as shame, where it's like, you're not valuable. You're not important. God doesn't want anyone to feel that they're not valuable. But what he does want all of us to understand is that we have these things in our life that then become decisions that we make, behaviors that we exhibit, that then if we stand before God and we go, he goes, did you do that? Did you think that? Did you feel that? Do you, do you have that behavior in your life that all of us stand and we say guilty is charged? Yes, I have done those things and I've talked about sin. Sin, we're sinners who sin. It's who we are, it's in our DNA, it's in our makeup and then because it's who we are, it's what we do. And so ultimately, we have sinful thoughts and sinful desires so then we have sinful, sinful behaviors and when we stand before a perfect God, that means that we would say before that judge, yes, I'm guilty and the sentence because of sin and the guilt of that sin is death. And so every single one of us have to get to that place where we understand life was arrested and say these words, it's in me, I did it, I'm dead. Sin, guilt, death. It's in me, I did it, I'm dead, I'm separated from God. 
This is in me. I exhibit these behaviors. Yes, I'm separated from God. Everybody say this. Say, it's in me, I did it, I'm dead. Say that. It's in me, I did it, I'm dead. Say it again, come on a little louder. It's in me, I did it, I'm dead. You're saying that because when you see these things, you go, yeah, I feel that way. So I act that way. And if God says that that represents death because life was arrested, then that's me. I'm separated from God. And so every one of us have to get to that place. But what we see is that God had to come into this, this, this world because he doesn't like this situation. You see, the scriptures teach that because of this situation, there's this death in the world, and death is eternal separation from God. And it's not just separation from God, it's because of sin and brokenness, we are ultimately, our souls, our beings, aside from our bodies, are going to end up in an eternal place separated from God called hell. Now, when the church first started, I did a series called Two Weeks of Hell, teaching about hell. And here's what I said. I hate hell. I don't want the doctrine, the teaching, the science, the, 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 the realities about hell to be true. And I believe that if any pastor likes hell, likes to talk about hell, likes to tell people that they're going to hell in a sense of you're going to hell, you're so horrible, and put it that way, I believe that they don't have the right position on it because in my mind, that's about life being arrested. That's about brokenness. That's about, this is not what God wants. The scriptures teach that God and all of his creation, that when the heavenly bodies, the, the, the devil and his angels turned his back on him, I talked a little bit about that last week. If you're kind of going, whoa, where did he go? I talked about that last week when God created that he made hell as a destination for the angels, the devil and his angels, that that's where they would go. But the scriptures teach us that if we exhibit this and it doesn't get taken care of and we live in this state of death, if you will, that we are eternally separated from God and we will eventually, when we physically die, end up spiritually dead in a place called hell. Now there's a lot of people out there who have tried to curb hell. They've tried to say that hell is just a metaphor. They've tried to say that hell is just a scare tactic, like a parent that says if you do that one more time, you're going to your room, and then they do it one more time, and they don't go to their room. A lot of people think hell is that way, that God is just trying to say, get it together, get it together, get it together. Well, I believe that the scriptures are true and I believe that what it teaches about that means that it's a literal experience for those that uh, never have this death situation solved. And so ultimately, my heart breaks for people who don't understand that life has been arrested and that means life today with these exhibiting and life tomorrow being eternally separated from God in a place called hell. But what the author that we looked at last week, Paul, who wrote a bunch of the New Testament, he told the Romans about this brokenness, about this death, about this, this thing that has happened as a result of turning our backs on God. But then he goes in to say, you know what, Joel, you, you hate death and hell, and I hate it too. 
God, through Paul, communicates to us that as much as, as I hate the idea of people being separated from God, that God can't stand the idea of his people being separated. And so what he did is he said, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make sure that life doesn't stay locked up. I'm going to make sure that I take death and I arrest death. I'm gonna make sure that I take death and I put it in its proper place. I'm gonna make sure that death gets put away forever and that I bring life into the world again so that people can experience closeness, the bond that's supposed to happen between God and his people. You understand the book of Romans is all about this pathway, this road, if you will, that leads us to God's plan to solve this part, life being arrested. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter five. Again, last week I was looking at a, a translation of the New Testament called the message. And I'm looking at that again. And um, I love it because I think it makes it so simple and it puts it in some words that, that really help bring it to life. So I'm looking at the message again in Romans chapter five. This is just verses 15 through 17. And there's so much more to this than what you'll see here. Life is arrested, yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. He's saying the, 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 the truth about Jesus solving this problem of life being arrested, oh man, like that was a big deal and it's a serious problem, but God's solution to the problem is so much more beautiful. It's so much bigger. It has so much more powerful it's not a yin and yang situation. It's a whole new paradigm that's better than you could fathom. And he keeps going. He said, if one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead end abyss of separation from God, death, Adam's sin put life in prison. It got arrested. And ultimately we end up in this dead end abyss. This is the idea of eternal separation from God in a place essentially called hell. We have, in, in the scriptures, we have this abyss, this, this place, and then this lake of fire. And this is all describing eternal separation from God, of separation from God. Just think what God's gift poured out through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. One man got us in all this trouble, and he was just a man. But then another man, who was God in the flesh, did something that then defeated what Adam did and got, got us out of this situation. How much greater if a man who is created in the image of God gets us in trouble, gets life put away in prison, then God himself, how much greater will his gift be if he comes on a rescue mission to spring life from prison. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. What Jesus has done is so much broader, it's so much more wonderful than anything you and I are experiencing or have experienced. It's so much more powerful than the power of sin to put you in a place eternally separated from God. Throughout all of history, since Adam and Eve sinned and the garden and the, the brokenness happened and life got put into this place of death, this separation, 
God has been communicating to every single one of us through symbolism and through his people, the Israelites, the truth about how God is not okay with life staying in prison. He wants to solve it, he wants to fix it, he wants to take it away. There's so many stories throughout the Old Testament that really unpack it, but this one is the most powerful one of all. The Israelites, the people of God, are in prison with the Egyptians for 400 years. And through a series of events and miracles that God leads through Moses, the people are starting to see that God has a plan to set them free. You understand the Israelites are a picture of life being arrested. They're in slavery. And God says, I'm gonna, I've heard my people, I'm going to set my people free. He does a bunch of miracles to try to make Pharaoh, who is in control of life being arrested, to have him go. And then ultimately, towards uh, the very end of the, the redemption story, we see that, that uh, God says, look, I'm going to send a presence into the village. And that presence is essentially going to bring death to all the homes who are there and have small children, a firstborn child. And the only way that the firstborn child will not experience death is if you take a lamb and make it experience death first. And what happens is, is they're told that they need to take a lamb and they need to kill that lamb and let the blood of the lamb get spilt. And you can just see it. They get the blood of the lamb spilt. They basically like a paint bucket and a paintbrush. And God says... The spirit will pass over any home that has the blood of the lamb on it. So the people go and get the blood, they get their paintbrush and they go to their front door and they put blood over their front door. And so the picture is that death has to happen. You guys are sinners, you're in slavery. In order for you to get set free, something has to die. You deserve to die, but what I'll do is use a lamb in place of your death, and the symbolism of that death will be enough for this spirit to pass over. And so the people went, and they got the blood, and they put it over their doorpost. And when the spirit came through, it said, oh, something already died. The price has been paid. Now the kid inside doesn't have to die. Now something has been dead, been killed. There's the blood. It's proof. Something died. Because with sin, there has to be a payment. There has to be a payment, and the payment is death. So God says, take a lamb, put it over, and then, okay, you're good to go. And ultimately, what happens is, is that's the picture of Jesus shedding his blood. Because if that's the picture of Jesus shedding his blood, then the picture of Jesus resurrecting from the dead is when the Israelites were out of slavery and they got to the Red Sea and what happens is is they're stuck against the Red Sea Pharaoh changes his mind he comes after them and God parts the Red Sea the picture of the Red Sea is a picture of God redeeming it's a picture of resurrection you see the picture is God saying I have made a way for my people a life you no longer have to be in slavery, dead, separated from me. There's been a payment for your sin, and now I've made a way to the land of milk and honey. When you think of the Red Sea parting, think of Jesus Christ who said this, I am the way. When Jesus Christ raises from the dead, he springs forth from a grave. You need to think to yourself, I am the way. Jesus provided a way when he spread the Red Sea. 
You see the Israelites walking. Something died for them with the Passover and now they are being redeemed. They are resurrecting from the dead into a life that God has for them. A life with Jesus is a life. It's the only life you'll ever get. And resurrection proves that you can have it. And God's been trying to communicate that message over and over again. The verdict on that one sin by Adam was death, was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. You understand? Adam put us all in this predicament. Then all of us had these sins. But because of life in Jesus, all of this gets a life sentence. Oh, you don't have to be separated from God. Oh, okay, we're going to spring life out of prison. We're going to bring it forth and we're going to put death inside. Look what he says, if death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Life has been arrested, but because of Jesus, it's in recovery mode, it's in resurrection mode, it's in redemption mode, it's a way, it's the truth, it's becoming the life. Can you imagine it? Sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting of everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides. In this moment, what we see is that Jesus Christ raising from the dead, he's a picture of bringing life. And he throws these sins into the place where they belong and death becomes arrested. For the rest of your life, what you need to see is Jesus Christ, on the, on, the, on the day we celebrate Good Friday, what you will see from now on is Jesus hanging on a cross as the Passover lamb. He was called the lamb of God. And when he died and his blood was spilt, his blood flowed down from his body and it went onto the earth. And when his blood went onto the earth, his blood mixed with the sinner's blood's blood who, who were on the cross next to him. So there was sinful blood, and then the perfect, righteous blood of Jesus Christ dropped onto the ground. And when it dropped onto the ground, it was in that moment that the redemption started. That was the moment where the Spirit of God, if you embrace the gift of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross in your place, then the Spirit, it passes over you. So you can, like those sinners' blood, say, I want my blood to be Jesus' blood and mix with Jesus' blood and get a new DNA. And then when the Spirit comes through the town, it passes over and says, you can live. Something died in your place. Jesus is the replacement. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. And in that moment, he goes, oh, I've got to take death and bring death to it so that I can bring life to it. So Jesus, he dies on a cross in our place. He gets put into a grave. And on the third day, Jesus woke up. He woke up to say, I'm parting the Red Sea. I'm redeeming you. I'm giving you away. I am the truth. Here's some life. Death was arrested when Jesus died on the cross so that you don't have to go through that death. And he, with the resurrection, gave you life, everything you could imagine and more. No eternal separation from God. None for those that accept the gift. The same author goes on and he brags. 
He brags about the resurrection. He brags about the truth that death is arrested. Look what he says. Death, swallowed by triumphant life. That's death was arrested by the resurrection. And then he starts to taunt it. He says, who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ, thank God, sin, guilt, death, it's in me, I did it, I'm dead, but Jesus arrested death. He threw it in prison, and he said, I'm going to let life flourish from this day forward. You guys, it is our duty to kind of wrap our minds around these realities for the rest of our lives to go, you know what? I'm so thankful that Jesus took my place on the cross. I'm so thankful that he provided a way with the resurrection. I can have life because he gave it to me. And so I just want to take a moment, if you're in here right now and you're hearing this, some of you are learning this for the first time and it's your chance to accept the life-giving gift. Jesus died in your place. He's the Passover lamb. If you kind of paint his blood in your world and say, I accept it, then the spirit passes over and then the resurrection means you have a way to life. And if you're hearing that for the first time, it's a simple move of faith to say, I believe in the death of Jesus on the cross. And you just believe it in your heart. God, thank you for arresting death with death. Thank you for putting it in its place. And thank you for the resurrection. I want eternal life. Please grant me eternal life through your gift on the cross. And for those of us that know this story, we have to be stirred up by this. You know the scriptures teach that the the message of who Jesus is is what God will build his church on. That's how he's going to build the church. You might think it's something else. You might think it's music, you might think it's the pastor, you might think it's the the lights or the kids program, or you might think it's the location, or you might think it's the outreach program. All those things are a result of life, but the source of life is Jesus. That's how he builds. You want your life to change if you're a follower of Christ? You need to go back to this message. You wanna start acting different? You gotta go back to this message. You want to start to give more? You got to go back to what was given to you. Death was arrested. 